that I might behold wonderful things from your law. If you would join me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, please. Our text is found in three different passages, and I'm going to have you turn to each of those. Luke, chapter 24, is where we'll begin. And verse 49. Again, the title of my message this morning is Five Misunderstandings About the Holy Spirit and Speaking in Tongues. This is the final message in our series on the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit, you are not alone. Five misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Help me out. Take a little more bass out of that, please. Thank you. A little more. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right? Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts. You were in Luke. You'll go to the Gospel of John, keep going, and you'll find Acts. Chapter 1, Jesus has been raised from the dead at this point. He has reappeared to his disciples, and before his ascension, he speaks these words in verse 8. But you will receive power, there it is again, that word, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now turn please to the book of 1st Corinthians. So you'll go to the end of Acts to the book of 1st Corinthians and find chapter 14 please. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you might prophesy for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, but, excuse me, speaks not, speaks to men, but not to God. For no one understands him, excuse me, speaks not to men, but to God. This is my sermon on speaking in tongues, by the way. So you're trying it out? <laughs> yeah, I found it on the internet. I haven't actually read any of these verses yet. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There is no small controversy in the church today about this subject of the Holy Spirit and definitely the gift of speaking in tongues. In fact, there's two significant extremes. One extreme, the people say that if you do speak in tongues, then you're under demonic control and you're not saved. The other group says that if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. <laughs> What's more, both extremes use scripture to support their positions. 
Many, in fact, argue that gift manifestations in the church are simply fanaticism and that they're primarily pursued by those who are less intelligent and those who are needy, those who are spiritually immature. Well, poor ignorant Paul, the apostle, because he said, and I quote, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of you. He said also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but he considers them foolishness, and he can't understand them because they're discerned only by the Spirit. You know, here's, here's the deal. It's not a sick child that needs discipline and correction. It's the active, energetic, exploring child that's going wild all day they need guidance <laughs> they need correction and so it was with the Corinthian church and that's why Paul wrote 1st Corinthians chapter 12 13 and 14 but wherever you come down on this whatever side it's important regardless of what you believe about the gift of speaking in tongues or the power of the Holy Spirit we are to have graciousness. We're to flow in liberty and to be gracious. Because quite simply, Romans 14 and verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So, because speaking in tongues does not have anything to do with your salvation, it does not affect you going to heaven, we need to be gracious and we need to have liberty. In fact, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit himself would guide us into all truth. That he would reveal to us things to come. So why don't we just ask him right now to do that? Would, would you? Uh, just take a hand and, and put it on your heart and, and pray this with me. Holy Spirit, would you guide us right now as a congregation into the truth about the Holy Spirit and this important subject was speaking in tongues amen the first misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues goes like this the need for spiritual gifts have ceased and so that's why we don't practice it that's why I avoid this. Well, I understand that comment, and I understand also that it's based on what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when he said this, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. How many of you have ever heard that verse? So, when that which is in part or that which is in part will be done away with when that which is perfect is come. And what's argued there is that that's talking about the Bible. That the Bible is that which is perfect that's come. Well, let's look at it. Chapter 13, love never ends. Starting in verse 8. As for prophecies, they will cease. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, the partial 
will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, take note of that, but then, very important, those two words, but then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Now again, the argument is that this passage is talking about the Bible being that which is perfect. But how could that be? First of all, it says not only will tongues pass away, but knowledge will pass away when we get the Bible, would be the argument. Really? Well, that makes all of us idiots. I mean, if knowledge is passing away as well, if tongues has passed away, knowledge passed away when the Bible came. To understand this passage, you have to go down to that last verse where it says, but then face to face, but then I'll be known or I will know as I am fully known. Is there a time when there's going to be a face to face with someone or something that totally alters all of time and transports us into a place where we will not need to speak in tongues anymore, where we will not need the imperfect of prophecy, where we won't rely on books and education and science? Of course there is. When we stand face to face with Jesus Christ and meet him. Hallelujah. And when is it that you are going to know perfectly, even as you are now known? When Jesus comes back. This cannot be talking about the Bible. Now, there's a companion complaint or teaching that goes along with this. And it goes like this. This experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was an isolated experience on a Jewish festival day, namely Pentecost, provided by heaven in order to witness to all the different people groups present as they heard the good news in their own tongues. It wasn't meant to repeat itself. Really? I submit to you that, first of all, it did repeat in the book of Acts in chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, I mean, they sent Billy Graham down there, and Billy Graham was conducting a revival, all right? Read it. It's Acts chapter 8. A great revival is going on, and scores of people are coming to Jesus Christ. And so word of that revival got back to Jerusalem, and it says... When they heard that, they sent to there, sent to Samaria, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now Simon, who was a warlock, saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands and offered them money to buy the power. Dear ones, this was five years after the day of Pentecost. Next, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44. Peter receives a vision. God tells him in the vision to go and to visit some Gentiles who were not believers and to share the good news with them. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. 
for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter exclaimed, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did back on the day of Pentecost? Anyone want to take a guess of how much later past Pentecost this was? Oh, come on, just throw something out. I'll give you a clue. Double the first number. Ten years. This is ten years after the day of Pentecost. All right. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now watch this. And they said, No, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Spirit, Paul says, hmm, into what were you baptized? Now, isn't that a curious question to ask when you come across some believers and you ask them, did you get the Holy Ghost when you believed? Have you received this power of the Holy Spirit yet? And they answer, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, what? Uh, how were you water baptized? Now, why did he ask that question? Do you remember Jesus' instruction that we were to go into all the world? Baptizing them in the name of the, help me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he knew if they had been baptized with Christian baptism that they would have heard about the Holy Spirit. No, we've not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. Into what were you baptized? Into John's baptism. And he says, oh, I get it now. When John baptized, he baptized with the baptism of repentance. He didn't do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, so they got properly water baptized. And then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Anybody want to guess how much later this example happened? How about double it again? 20 years, Jim, that's incredible. You have received a healing this morning. God's working. There is revival. No, this tremendous, powerful experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was not given just to the first Jewish Christians. It was not meant just as a witnessing opportunity on the day of Pentecost. And yes, it's absolutely relevant to today. It happened throughout the book of Acts. First five years, then ten years, then twenty years after the day of Pentecost. The second misunderstanding that's common goes like this. The Bible is the summation of all that God has to say to us. And so there isn't anything further being spoken or revealed. Now, you know, this is not what Jesus taught about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's completely contrary to what Jesus taught. For instance, in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak 
and he will speak to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to us today outside of the Bible, but never contrary to the Bible. All right? Did you know that Paul also taught that the Holy Spirit personally reveals things to us that we don't necessarily read from the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He didn't say they've been revealed to us by the Bible. And keep in mind, when Paul penned those words, there was no Bible. We act as though this leather-bound book of 66 books, chapter and verse outlined, has always been. They had it when the disciples walked the earth. I mean, this is what Jesus preached from, right? You know that in terms of history, this book is relatively recent. It wasn't till the mid-1500s that the book was actually even first printed. The canon, which means the 66 approved books that are in this book called the Bible, were authorized well after Jesus' death in the second and third centuries. It wasn't until the 1800s that chapter and verses were added. It was just kind of read as a story. And yet we act like it's been around for 2,000 years. So when Paul said here, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, he was talking about a living relationship with the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of God speaks to us daily in our lives. This is what happened this morning as I was preparing to come up here and preach my message. The Holy Spirit started speaking to me some words, not whole stories or paragraphs. He didn't tell me everything about an individual's life. He just began to share some things that I heard with my spirit from his spirit and they became thoughts in my mind. And I've, I've learned then that that is the Holy Spirit's voice and I've learned to respond to that. And, and actually on every single one that he mentioned, there was eventually a response once people were obedient. Oh, I'm having fun with you. But that does happen more times than not. We're told, in fact, that revelation, say it, revelation. revelation. We're told that revelation, I did not say, who said revelations? By the way, did you know that is not a book? Oh, yeah, pastor, it's in the back of the new red here. Well, go to it, look at it. It is not the book of revelations. It's the book of revelation. It was the revelation to John of things that were going to be in the end. So the reason I bring that out is, in fact, receiving revelation by listening to the Holy Spirit is part of our daily walk in relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, Paul says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. The third misunderstanding that's often voiced about the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues 
is that the gift of tongues isn't for everyone. Only some have this gift. And you'll hear people say, well, if God wants to give me the gift of tongues, then God will do that. And the mistaken idea here is drawn primarily from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 29. You know the verse. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? When you ask a question like that, what's that type of question called? Rhetorical. What is a rhetorical question, Kathy? Real loud so everybody can hear. You're a teacher. <laughs> You're an interpreter in the classroom setting. You hear a lot of knowledge. You're very knowledgeable. You're wise. What is a rhetorical question? You really don't want to answer. You already have. You know the answer, but you don't really want to answer it. It's an obvious answer to a question that's just trying to get you thinking. But the answer's obvious. There's only one right answer. Are all apostles? Say it. No. no. This is not a trick. It's in the Bible, okay? Verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 12. Are all prophets? No. Uniformly, everybody? No. no. Do all speak with tongues? No. no. Do all interpret? No. And so we derive from that then that everyone's not supposed to speak in tongues and that if God wants me to have this gift, he'll give it to me. Now, before we leave that verse, notice he says the same thing regarding prophecy. Are all prophets? No. All right, now, go to verse 28, please, and look at what it says there. Because you should never take a verse on its own and... Develop a doctrine based on the standalone of that verse without reading the verses before it and after it so that you get what? What do we call that? When you read the verses before and after, you have context that, which affects the meaning. You, you can't just take a verse. Someone once said, <laughs> I prayed. You know, I let my Bible fall open. It could, because I was needing direction. And, and it just fell open. And I told the Lord, Lord, the first scripture I point to I'm just, that's going to be your word to me. I'm going to follow it like gospel. So he let his Bible fall open and he pointed and said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, oh, that can't be God. So, Lord, I, I just, maybe I didn't pray right. Lord, I'm just, I'm believing that you are going to lead me through your word. You're going to speak to me. So, Father, the first verse that my eyes fall on, my finger comes to, I'm just going to let your word fall open and thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. Go and do likewise. <laughs> right? Have you ever done that? How many of you know that's taking a verse out of context? You've got to read the verses before. So the context of Paul's statement when he asks the rhetorical question is found in verse 28. He says, Now God has appointed in the church... And then he gives a list of those appointments that are offices to operate in the church gathering and then asks the rhetorical question, does everybody operate in those offices? Does everybody have those gift appointments? The answer is? No. Say it again, please. No. All right, now. 
he continues with this theme of drawing distinctions between the in-the-church assignments and our personal devotional life in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look with me at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. What is the context of Paul's statements in chapter 14 regarding gift manifestations, including the gift of tongues? He says, be careful. When you're gathered together in the church meeting, only do those things that build up the majority. Do those things which are good and understandable and bring revelation and teaching and instruction to the greater whole. Don't be exclusive and don't sit there and burst out in your heavenly language speaking in tongues because people won't understand it. It's in another language. Now, notice his statement, however. Uh, again, I remind you of verse 29. Do all prophesy, or excuse me, are all prophets? No. Say it again. Are all prophets? No. All right, please look. Chapter 14, verse 31. For you can all prophesy. Was Paul demented? Did he forget what he wrote two chapters earlier? We're talking about two different administrations of this gift of prophecy. One flows through the prophetic office that's assigned in the church. But the other is one that all of us can do because it brings benefit and encouragement and comfort to everyone when it's present and when people operate in it. You just need to do it orderly. Let it be by uh, two or at the most three. Okay? And if somebody else gets something who's sitting close by, let them give theirs and you... In a word, he said, shut up. <laughs> okay. Now, are, are you ready? I mean, are you really ready? Are you watching? Okay, you're watching? Look at verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul, you just said in chapter 12, through a rhetorical question, that everybody's not supposed to speak in tongues. He's not talking about the gift of tongues assigned in the church to some where they stand up, give a message in tongues, that must be followed by somebody with the gift of interpretation who can interpret 
the tongue. He's talking here in verse 5 about our prayer language, our devotional tongue. You see, there's a difference between the gift of tongues used in the church service to be followed by an interpretation and the prayer language that's given to every believer. The ability to pray in a heavenly language and interpret what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you rests with every spirit-filled believer. The ability. Now, you may not have yet. You may not want to. I promise you this, if you leave it out there in that realm of, well, if God wants to give me this gift, he will. You probably will never. The fourth misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues is that speaking in tongues is a lesser gift. There is a very famous minister of the gospel somewhat of theologian even, who if I called his name right now, most of you in the congregation would know the name. You can easily Google his name and find him on the internet. He's written many books. I think he even has a study Bible out. I've said enough. Here is his comment on speaking in tongues. I think Paul was a little miffed that the gift of tongues was being forefronted in the Corinthian church. It isn't normative. It isn't prominent or primary. I think Paul was a little miffed that speaking in tongues was forefronted. Well, if we're talking about that one of the reasons for writing 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 was to correct the abuse of the spiritual gifts in the local congregation and church, of course. Paul was frustrated that they were operating so immaturely in these gifts, and he brought that correction. But the statement that it's not normative, it isn't prominent, it's not primary, is quite frankly contrary to the Word of God. Again, I point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and look with me at verses 18 and 19. Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see, Paul's personal prayer life was filled with speaking and praying in tongues. He said, what am I to do? This is verse 15. I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. I call it the equivalency of prophecy. Speaking in tongues, or a message given in a heavenly language, when coupled together with an interpretation actually equals a prophecy. He tells us that in, is it verse 6 there? Do you have your Bible handy? It's verse 5, verse 6 then. He says this, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. It's verse 5. The one who prophesies, get this, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Stop. Here's why. Let me use coins, coinage, to illustrate. Let's liken prophecy to a dime, 10 cents. And let's liken the gift of tongues by itself to a nickel, 
five cents. How many of you know you have more spending power with a dime than you do a nickel? Okay. I just want some of you are looking at me like a cow at a calf at a new gate, and I'm thinking, wow, dime, nickel, it's, this isn't... Okay, now get this. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. The one who has a dime has more spending power than the one who has a nickel. Unless... Someone interprets, unless you add a nickel to the existing nickel so that the church might be built up, there it is again, when you are in public, do everything for the good of the greater whole. Don't stand up and just blurt out in tongues. Whenever there's a gift manifestation, I'm talking about everything, all the gifts of the Spirit. They operate to the benefit, when they're in public, for the greater whole, not the upbuilding of the individual. And so Paul says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Compare that with verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him because he utters mysteries in the Spirit. What's he talking about? When you pray in an unknown tongue, when you pray in your heavenly language, your mind doesn't understand what you're saying. You're speaking mysteries in worship to the Father. But you can ask God for the interpretation of that, Paul says. If you get the interpretation to it, what you're doing is you're interpreting that secret or that mystery. It's the Greek word secret. However, secret in the Greek is different than secret in our English language. Secret in the Greek means knowledge revealed. So, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're uttering mysteries or secrets, but through the interpretation, God wants to reveal what you're praying. By the way, it may not come out immediately following what you're speaking in tongues so that you uh, have it in the same instance and get a thus saith the Lord and write it down. It could come out later that day through some guidance. It could come out later that week as you're just walking with the Lord and you've been praying over something important in the Holy Spirit, still don't have clarity yet, and all of a sudden you're driving down the highway in your car and all of a sudden, bam! Oh my gosh, that's it. Thank you, Jesus. And that interpretation came as a result of you just loving the Lord with your issues, your problems, your challenges, worshiping Him, praying in the Holy Spirit, doing what Paul did. He prayed with his mind. He prayed with the Spirit. He sang with his mind, but he sang in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever sang in the Holy Spirit? It's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful gift of just praying and singing in your tongue. And that's something God's not holding it. This is not based on if God wants to give it to you, he'll give you this gift. Why would God withhold from some of his children something that's so special, so powerful, that actually helps us operate in the secret revelation of God's purposes and will to us? Why would he do that? And finally, the fifth misunderstanding that we so often encounter about the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues is that when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, the believer becomes this monument of spiritual maturity. <laughs> in my experience, I've discovered so many that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are grossly immature. And sadly, 
And this is due in part to a misunderstanding about the salvation sanctification equation, the new birth, baptism and power relationship, the fruit of the Spirit versus the gifts of the Spirit relationship. How many of you have ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through, through 26. You know things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are called what? Say it real loud. Why does he call them fruits? Where do fruits come from? Do they like appear? Don't they grow over time? Some quicker than others, but don't you have to plant something in the soil of your heart, salvation, and as you walk with God, that seed of salvation begins to grow, and pretty soon, maybe in just little ways, little fruits pop out here and pop out here, and all of a sudden they pop out here and you become fruity. How many of you have ever met somebody who's fruity in their faith, fruity in their walk with God? They have character, they have love, they have integrity, they have patience and peace. They're fruity, but they might not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They might not have the power of the Holy Spirit. What am I talking about? Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And, Paul, and, and Jesus said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He's not talking about an inward change like the metamorphosis of a butterfly. He's talking about a clothing where God from externally pours out upon you and you receive and get filled with and clothed with his power. It's a different experience. It's, it's a second subsequent experience to being saved. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Oh dear ones, listen. If there was something that would deepen your prayer life, something that would help you hear God better and understand his voice, wouldn't you want it? If there was something that would unlock supernatural secrets, which is knowledge revealed, and release the dynamite of the Holy Spirit in your life, wouldn't you do anything to remove hindrances and blocks and misunderstandings and bad teaching so that you could come into that wonderful experience? I would too. So let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to do whatever is necessary? Would you be willing to change even the way you've believed about the Holy Spirit and receive by faith this supernatural clothing with power? It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That even Jesus needed. Even Jesus needed it. The Son of God, born worked in his mom's home, became a carpenter, and then eventually started into ministry at the age of 30. And the first thing he did before he performed a single miracle or taught a, a, a single sermon was went down to the river, met John the Baptist, and got water baptized. And coming up out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon him. 
And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, went about doing good and healing all that were sick and performing miracles and casting out devils. Even Jesus needed this. Okay, well, if you're up for it, then I'm going to give you three things. Three things that you need to do. Number one, thank God for giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit and tell him that from this morning forward, you welcome his activity in your life. Number two, hunger for it and ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Number three, when you do, if you do those first two things, then do these three things. I told you three things and now I have three, so this is five. Does that make sense? I told you three things, now there's three more and that's five. Is that how you add? No, but watch now. I told you the first two. Thank God for giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit and tell him from this morning forward, you want this activity in your life. Hunger for and then ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the two. Now, number three, if you will do those two, then do these three. Don't stand there in silence and disbelief once you ask. When you ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, worship him passionately. Secondly, open your mouth and begin speaking whatever falls into your mind and heart. Just begin to say the words that come to you. Number three, don't doubt. Go home and practice. I mean, if you get a syllable... If you get two syllables, shundai, shundai, shundai. Now don't anybody go home and say, shundai, 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 I'm filled with the Spirit. Okay, I'm speaking in tongues. Now, you might start there, but dear God, uh, we're not teaching people to speak in tongues. But I'm just illustrating. If you get a couple of syllables, go home and shundai, 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 I love you, Jesus, and practice. Just like an infant would. Just like a baby learning to speak. They don't get sentences. They don't start speaking in stories, right? They get syllables. They get mama, dada, papa, and it develops. And by the way, you know why it develops? Because they hang around other people who are doing the same thing but have learned how to speak and how to operate in it already much more fluently. I'm done. Let's stand.